Good day, and welcome to another Forgeside Chat, a podcast about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between, with a heavy focus on talent in the great white north. We're talking about Canada, eh? And this week in the Forge, we've got Robert Dent of Axe Academy from Toronto, Ontario. His first class was on how to make an axe. Apparently, he went down the rabbit hole, and now he runs his own school where you can learn how to make an axe yourself. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome for sure, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lyndon, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, pretty good. I had a pretty productive week. Um, I screwed up one knife, which I'm not too pleased about, but it was like my B knife. I had made two Asubas. This is like a, a Japanese vegetable slicing knife. And the it's a single bevel, which is a whole causes tons of warpage and whatnot. But I was sharpening it on a stone because I figured, hey, that's the Japanese way of doing it. I'm going to sharpen it on the stone because I wanted it to be flat, straight to the sharp. No secondary bevel for like that, that cutting edge. I wanted it flat to sharp. And I ended up sanding, trying different stones that I have. And eventually I was like, what's going on? Like, this is taking forever. And I noticed a couple little like fractures near the edge. And I was like, huh, that sucks. <laughs> That's also strange. And I just ran the edge of the blade against my countertop. It's just like a MDF countertop. And the whole edge shredded itself off the knife. So it like peeled away like a ribbon. And I was like, well, that's that's garbage now. <laughs> Not only is it my B knife, but it's absolutely garbage. So I <laughs> stuck it in a vise and I pulled on it. It pretty much, it went over 90 degrees and it popped into three pieces. And the, the grain was fine. I was really satisfied with that. But I think what was going on is because I was trying to grind the flat and I was pushing down on the stone, because of the flexibility near the edge, it wasn't actually grinding down all the way to the edge. The flexibility was causing it to grind or sand just like a couple, like probably like three, four millimeters away from the edge. And I was just bringing that edge down thinner and thinner and thinner. So yeah, a few people have asked what happened. And I was like, I'm going to answer that on Forge Side Chat. You'll have to listen (laughs) in. So now if you've heard it, you can, you can take off eh? or just hang out, keep on listening. Um, Also made, eh? um, what's that? Go tell your friends, eh? Go tell your friends, yeah. Who's your buddy? I also made a palm vice. Um, Took a good chunk of the weekend, which is kind of crazy, but it was just a a one-off, and that was was a fun project. Looks like a tiny leg vice that fits in your hand. It's more for making jewelry, making small items so you can clamp onto them. My, My dad came over. Or, no, it wasn't my dad. Someone asked me, why don't you just use vice grips? And I was like, uh, 
<laughs> don't say that oh my god <laughs> i because i wanted to make some man that's that's what i wanted to do it was the <laughs> challenge and i had a great time and uh i made a couple friction folders too that i finished up today and pretty pretty pleased with them they're those are cool rad yeah thanks that. man yeah, it's good, been a good week. Talked to a few people, like a networking event today, and talked to uh, another guy in the film industry about some stuff. Um, hey, you're telling me about that. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. we'll get into that some other day, though. We'll, All right. Nothing confirmed, nothing. Uh, it's just cool, dude. Yeah, yeah, it was, cool. it was good. It was good. I used to be in that industry, sort of. I was trying to tap into that industry about 10 years ago. So the guy was like, man, I haven't talked to you in like forever. And I was like, yeah, but you remember me, right? <laughs> yeah. So we ended up chatting about blacksmithing and bladesmithing for like a good good half hour, 40 minutes. He's just and, picking uh, your brain, eh? Yeah. Well, some of it was just shooting the shit of like what happened over the last 10 years and COVID and the changes in his industry and like everything's changed on his end sort of it's all the same but different so uh, and you Lyndon oh tonight, what have you got there I've got myself a kilter vintage pilsner brewed Ooh. right here in Winnipeg Manitoba by you know, kilter I guess yeah I don't think I've ever had a kilter love you mm. and verdict lovely it's absolutely lovely lovely can you yes. smack your lips a little bit harder <laughs> sorry it foamed up a, a little bit there sorry so <laughs> yeah man my week dude has been i don't know not too crazy like i haven't gotten a lot done honestly because i've just uh I don't know. I've been all over the place hanging out with the kid and stuff like that. Instead, we, I took her out snowboarding awesome. on uh, Sunday, I believe that was. We went out snowboarding. Took her to just, there's a park not far from our house that uh, there's a big bank on a hill that no one really goes on because it's kind of off to the side. And the, we've had so much snow this year. It was like powder it's runs. Decent. Dude. It was, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, we had a blast. The kid we're going down the hill and she's yelling at me, why have I never done this before? <laughs> because we don't get this much snow normally. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Tons, so. tons uh, of snow. I don't know. I got some mail today from Yako. He sent me some pictures of his baby and nice. I got one of those awesome anvil stickers. I'm so pumped on that. I've been talking to a dude that is in Kenora. We'll get into that later. Met this awesome oh. guy that I'm hoping to touch you know, or meet one of to these touch. days. Have, Whoa. Uh, yeah. Well, touch base with. Okay. Easy. Yeah. By base. I mean, we're going to meet each other and shake hands and okay. get to know each other maybe in blacksmith and stuff. Right. Because he's nice. a blacksmith and I'm a blacksmith and that's what blacksmiths do. Ah. And he's not far from here. And he's in he's Kenora. In Kenora. He's actually come to our area before to do some blacksmithing Winnipeg. stuff. Really? Well, I don't know if, where's, um, uh, Where's Cameron out of? He's not in Winnipeg. He's St. Malo, right? Uh, St. Adolph. St. Adolph. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, pretty much Winnipeg. What does he run? It's called Forge. Forging Ahead. Forging Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So this yes, gentleman before. Yeah. went and spent time with this guy 
uh, Cameron, Good. and they've got a mutual connection there. So, anyways, yeah. Well, let's, let's fill uh, people in on what Cam is doing since you brought him up. So, Cam Bennett, he's uh, runs an operation just south of Winnipeg, who does kind of like uh, PTSD um, treatment through activity. Um, so people who have seen trauma, either physical or emotional, I, I can't like, speculate to say I even understand all of that, but uh, the camaraderie, getting in the shop and uh, hitting an anvil, uh, that makes everyone feel good. So that's an operation that he's running. It's a nonprofit called Forging Ahead. Check it out if that's uh, of your interest. Well, hey, nope. actually, how about before we jump into Rob, or in with Rob, yeah, onto the, onto the topics with today's topic is, let's talk about Maritime Knife Supply, our oh. beautiful sponsor that can hook you up with savings of one hundred dollars if you head over there and use the code FSC Kiln. So you put that in the coupon box or the uh i think check that's out. what it's called then the checkout yeah there's a apply code box and when you're buying yourself a beautiful even heat kiln or a paragon kiln you'll uh save yourself a hundred bucks off it's an investment man you're getting that into your shop saving some some headaches and getting those heat treats perfect what's head back over to Maritime Knife Supply in a little bit because we got some more news about them. We jumping in with Rob? I think it's about time to do that, man. How you doing, Robert Rob? Dent. Let's How are you do doing? It. I'm doing great. Thanks for having good, me. Good. Oh, man. We've been busy. Um, I guess busy is probably an understatement. Um, we do the axe workshops on the weekends, and I've got a regular day job Monday to Friday. Um, and on okay. top of that, I've got three-year-old twins at home. So... Um, yeah, between those three things, busy is kind of just the word of the day for me. Um, but I think busy is good. It keeps you going. So um, this week we were uh, we only had one workshop on uh, on Saturday, um, crushed out six axes. And uh, cool. we're getting ramped up for this weekend. And we're pretty much booked through from now until end of April right now, filling up in May as well. Um so yeah, we, we do about 12 axes a weekend and, uh, yeah, that's kind of what we've been up to just crushing nice. out axes. Cool. So then in terms of equipment, are you guys like using mostly presses to shape them? So we prepare the billet. We, we order the 5160 and, uh, it comes in 21 foot, um, bars. And, uh, so we cut those down. We, uh, yeah, we got them from, uh, Thompson metal out of, uh, BC yep. and, uh, yeah, those, those guys ship it over to us in about seven foot bars. And from there we cut them down into four and a half inch billets. Um, but they're not the right shape. So we use a 16 ton, uh, coal iron press to, uh, shape it into our billet and we do a pre pre punch to it. So. When the students show up, they get a billet with a with a punch through it. Um, it's not fully drifted at that point. So when we get them into the workshop, step one is to finish that drift, and then they draw everything out by hand. So um, cool. yeah, we uh, 
we work with a striker director kind of relationship and uh, you get teamed up with a, a partner. That's why it's really good to actually come and do it with a, a friend or a buddy. Um, yeah, for sure. And you guys help each other just kind of shape out that act. So we, uh, we managed to do it in about six hours. So start nice and early at 9am on a Saturday and by three in the afternoon, they're walking out with an ax. Um, cool. Does that include uh, hanging it? Hanging it? Yeah, that's start to finish. We do the. Uh, wow. Yeah, we finish drifting it. We draw it out, put it through some heat treating, cycle it through. Uh, we basically um, we temper it and harden it and get it basically razor Old sharp, deal. and then hand it to them and let them get it. Uh, let them get it hung on the axe and finish up with an axe wrap, and they walk out. Yeah, three in the afternoon, ready to go chop some wood. Nice, cool man. What kind nice. of uh, style of axe are you guys making there? So technically, it's a hatchet. We we've got sixteen inch handles. So um, a lot of people are interested and ask us about larger axes. Um, so we're working on programming to start doing larger axes. Um, but we find for beginners, like ninety nine percent of people walking in the door, this is the first time they're taking hot metal out of a forge. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and even the three hours of hammering we do, like that, that's a workout for them. It's using muscles they haven't used in a long time and, uh, really just gets the feel of, of what it's like to actually move some metal. Um, but, uh, yeah, by the end of it, they, they love it. And, uh, yeah, they're super excited. Almost everybody's like, let me know as soon as we can do bigger axes. And that'll kind of be like a round two kind of, this is your yeah. beginner entry level one you've never forged before. And then, uh, yeah, the larger axes will just be kind of more intermediate advanced curriculum we come out with. So that's cool. I like yeah. that. Any, sure. any thoughts of doing like singles night or I don't know, couples show up and or girls, some girls show up, some guys show up and then they're working on an act. Together. Like a meet, a meet and greet. That's, that's a great idea. We actually, we, we initially had the one offering. It was just the ax workshop. You come in, make an ax. And we had a lot of people asking, um, if they could come and like, we would have somebody be like, I want to get this for my husband, but can I come watch? And oh. it's a five or six hour workshop and just sit there and watch. And I was like, why don't you actually participate yeah. in it? So we came out with a, it's a two, uh, two people, one ax workshop. So right. you show up, you guys both work on one ax together. And that's probably actually our most popular offering right now. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun to see them like couples come in, not really knowing what they're getting into and kind of the excitement by the time they leave, they, it just really kind of, kind of blows their mind that they, they made something like this. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's really cool to bring them in and let them do that together. So I think I don't, I'm not sure, maybe I missed it. What size of billet is it that you're using for start? So it's, uh, by the time we press it, it's, uh, it's four inches. Four inches by an inch and an inch and a quarter. Oh, interesting. That's that's yeah. a sweet size to use. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You start and you're, but you're bringing it in not that size. It's coming in as a larger billet than that. Yeah, it's coming in at uh, initially it's four and a half inches. So we crush it down to about four inches, and uh, okay. it's only it's only an inch wide. So we crush it out another inch and a quarter. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Seems to work. It fits on a, a 16 inch handle really well. The weighting's pretty good. Um, yeah, we're we're prototyping gotta, larger ones, but 
sorry. You said you had a coal iron uh, press. What size of coal iron press are you using? Yeah, we got the 16 ton. Um, it's probably our our most important tool in the shop. Without it, um, we're just doing all that pressing by hand. So, um, yeah, that that just saves us hours and hours and hours of of work. Um, for sure. So yeah, super critical. Um, works like a charm. Um, had no issues with that. Uh, gotta... one, one small issue and they, uh, the support was really great. They shipped me some spare parts and gave me a video tutorial of how to fix it. It was just a minor, uh, loosening of, uh, some of the plates. Um, so yeah, pretty straightforward. Great support. Cool. Yeah. I've heard that about them from a few people that if they required help, if they were yeah. either getting video support or getting things shipped out right away. It's, it's awesome sure. to see companies uh, stand up behind their products like that. Yeah, super important for sure, definitely. Uh, and there, the sixteen-ton press is like it's a it's not a big machine. It's perfect for guys that are doing the hobby shop stuff or whatever. And you know, it's a great machine for you know hammers, axes, almost everything you need it for. I mean, obviously, you know, moving into a, a bigger press is only going to do the work faster and you can do bigger stuff with it, right? Mm -hmm. But 16 yeah. tons, lots of guys are getting stuff done with that, man. Yeah. That's the one that's sure. just built with like an angle iron frame, right? Um, it's on a full base. Um, so they have a 12 ton that I think that's the one you're talking about. So oh, this, is, uh, this is kind of their mid-range one. They do have a, yeah, they've got a 16 and a 25. Um, right. Very cool. Well, and I want to go back. I want to go way back. Yeah. Let's go back. We've got <laughs> Robert Dent. He's uh, never held a hammer and he's like, man, I wish I had an axe. Where uh, where did you go take your course on making axes? Yeah, so uh, it's actually my my wife found this workshop for me. Um, I was looking for an axe. I wanted to to buy like a custom axe, and a lot of the ones I was looking at at the time they had like like twelve month waiting lists to get these custom axe made. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, just way too long. And uh, while we're kind of looking to, to to order a custom axe, uh, she found this workshop based out of St. Catharines. It's about an hour and a half outside of Toronto, okay. and. Um, yeah, I went and visited Paul, I think it's Paul Krasgowski, um, yeah, based mm -hmm. out of St. Catharines. And yeah, he, he ran me and a group of people through this workshop and uh, it was great. It was it was a lot of work and I was beat. I don't think I walked for the next two days because uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a ton of hammering. And uh, yeah, but overall, an amazing experience. And uh, I tried to get Paul actually to come to Toronto and, and set up shop in Toronto because... <laughs> I knew uh, I knew there's a lot of people who'd be interested in doing something like this, and that never really worked out. And then a couple years later, went went by, and um, I was talking with a friend about it, and he was like, "Why why aren't you doing like that act stuff you were talking about a couple years ago?" And I was kind of like, "Well, yeah, no, I'm like I don't think I can do it." And then that sent me down the rabbit hole of, "Well, why don't I just build my own forge?" Went to Home Depot, got some base components and put together a forge in my backyard, um, realized that that wasn't the safest thing to do. So, um, I looked around Toronto for some, some better or safer ways to do it and couldn't really find one. So at the end of the day, I realized I just had to build my own shop. So we found a, an amazing space in the city 
Um, if, if you've ever been to Toronto, most, most industrial spaces have been converted into condos. So it's really hard to find a shop like this. And, uh, mm-hmm. we sort of lucked out. We, uh, we got in, we found a perfect size shop. It's about 2,100 square feet. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we put in a bunch of forges, just kind of planning out having a, a relatively mid-sized shop. And, uh, once we got it built, we we're like, let's turn this into a school. So, um, actually found, uh, and partnered with a couple of local blacksmiths who were in the area and, uh, got their help. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they kind of helped us go down that path. We, uh, we built all our own striking anvils and got all the tools set up. Um, so, so was the intent people. just to run the, the, like the building as your, personal workshop with uh with these friends or was it to do the axe academy initially it was kind of like uh like a community space for people we were gonna try and open it up and get get people interested and uh sort of have it like a maker space but um yeah but yeah once once we got it set up and we just kind of started talking about and going through the process of the axe workshop it just made sense to really just focus on making this like a really great school to teach people how to make axes. And so, so that's what we focus on. That's what we do. A ton of people are asking us when we start knife workshops. So that's down the road. (laughs) We're going to come out with knife programming too, but um, yeah, for now it's, it's axes. That's kind of where our heart's at and that's what got me into this. So that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Cool. And did you have any like business background before starting axe works? Or you just kind of like, threw yourself into this yeah i'd say the business end is something i had a lot more practical experience with versus the blacksmithing for sure um the blacksmithing has been a huge learning curve for me um yeah my my primary blacksmith that helps me with the workshops his name is toby druce um oh nice and he uh yeah he trained out of fleming college yeah and uh yeah fleming college is actually it's it's a couple hours outside of the city but they run a 15-week program for artist blacksmiths and um we've actually started getting some of their students um they're basically going there and training and coming back to the city realizing how how and where can i keep learning how to do this craft and uh and they're finding us and so yeah we've got a couple of their uh their graduates who've come in and uh some of them are helping out with the workshops and uh yeah it's been pretty good Cool. cool. So they're seeing this axe workshop as like a supplement to what they already learned then. Exactly. They're using some of those skills to kind of help students go through that learning curve. Um, beginners, like some people are literally like never even held a hammer before and yeah, uh, yeah. coming in. So just helping them with simple things like hammering technique and um, just making sure they're comfortable, staying safe. Um, yeah yeah nice that you know what that makes me think of my shout out linden i'm gonna i'm gonna do it right now go for it but my shout out this week is going to cody ironworks um i don't know where he's located other than on tiktok um <laughs> he has a, a tiktok channel there and i was actually working on my palm vice live and he 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 watched for probably uh, probably an hour. He was like one wow. of the three people that would come in and out. He was there like the whole time, and uh, he was like, "Oh, why don't you uh, 
do this or do that. And he was giving me all sorts of tips. One of the tips that I really appreciated was on the shape of my, of my hammer handles. And he was saying how, when you have like a round hammer handle, when you strike your piece and sometimes it like wants to slip away or slide out sideways, that's really hard on the wrist and the elbow. And, uh, he, he made a video for me on TikTok afterwards, kind of showing me what he meant about creating more of a square style um, hammer handle. So, yeah, uh, needless to say, I was at my sander this week and sanding them down to more of a square shape. And I, I feel a difference. I've, I was striking higher up on the handle and uh, it slipped aside again and i was like what the heck oh man i need to grind my handle a little bit more so it does have a more of a significant impact than i thought because when he was saying it i was like really i don't know but then he yeah and and you look at some of the uh some nice hammers ethan hardy posted a batch of hammers or sledges and they all have kind of this squarish style handle which uh I don't know. Came to a surprise to me. I think I said that a few times already, but whatever. <laughs> so there's my shout out. My oh, first yeah. shout out. I'll do my second shout out later. That's about the stickers. So. You know what? I got a. I've I've actually got a couple shout outs this episode, man. I'm yeah. Like, do you want to do them now these? or do well, one do, now and then yeah, come back later with I'll the, do this your one. second? We talked about this uh, this podcast last episode. I'm pretty sure knife perspective, right? I don't. I don't know if we did or not. Well, okay, so maybe if we didn't, let's talk about them now. Knife Perspective, it's an awesome podcast. They talk about knives, and these dudes are, they speak excellent English. You know, they're like, well, like well-spoken. <laughs> Way okay. better than our English. Well-spoken eh? compared to me and this host head here. Okay, so uh, KH Daily and Dogwood Knives run this uh awesome podcast and i highly suggest you check it out if you want to know more about how to make a, a really good knife and the ins and outs these guys are also interviewing people um they're more american based but you know whatever doesn't make a difference I've, really i've probably listened to i don't know five or six since you introduced them to me and cool. yeah very good very re- appreciate it and, and more just about, a, a, more sorry. about running your workshop and running the business of being a bladesmith or knife maker versus like tips on how to make knives, which we see more in uh, knife talk. Oh, okay. It must have been That's just, my uh, perspective. Yeah, okay. Maybe listen to different ones than I did or something. It's just Could a couple be. guys that I happened to listen to or whatever that I was yeah. catching some really good stuff on there. Um, and you know what? Just quick shout out to a couple other podcasts, uh, Working Hands podcast. They, you know, gave me a quick shout out. So thanks you guys. Oh, That's nice. so awesome. Um, and um, Work for It podcast also talking about us again, which is so awesome. I mean, it was a couple episodes back, but thank you, you guys. Yeah. Um, Brian Cohn was actually just talking about this. Um, finding your jam. Okay. What what is it that when you got into this that you were, you realized that it was like it was your spark that you were like this is my jam 
You know, like, did you have that moment? Did you realize that moment as it was happening? Or did you have to look back and realize that that moment mm. happened? What about mm. yourself, Justin? Uh, yeah, I think probably looking back is when I would, uh, would say it happened. I was having too much fun at auctions buying junk and stuff, including an anvil, which I really wanted. And it was like a, a 50 pound anvil, nothing really special to it. But man, that, that, I don't know what it is with auctions. I guess my blood rushing. <laughs> and then you walk away with like a truckload of stuff for like a hundred bucks or whatever. Um, yeah, that was probably what kind of got it started. But then what keeps me going? What, what keeps that spark going? Just making, learning. I love, I, I don't know, just trying to develop myself as a better maker and as a better business person as I do this. And I don't know. I, lo I love this, this journey. Really? Yeah. Cool. What about yourself, Rob? I, I'm essentially, essentially guessing that it was probably the axe make, making course that was your spark, but that's my guess. You tell me. That was definitely like a a lot of excitement at that moment, but I don't think I had that aha moment like I have to do this. Um, I think it's definitely looking back, the reflection on it. And um, for me, it's more like when I'm running the workshops and like at the end when the students are kind of finished and um, just seeing like somebody new to the craft, learning how to make something and then like being super proud of what they made. That for me, when I, when I see that, I realize that like, that's what I like doing. I like people, I like teaching people things and like seeing that reaction on them. So um, I never saw myself as a teacher, like 10 years ago, if you asked me, you're going to be a teacher and teaching blacksmith workshops. Um, that kind of wasn't in my radar, but definitely looking back and knowing that like every time I run a workshop is like as much work goes into preparing for them, setting them up and doing them. Um, it's, it's really cool to just see that happen over and over and over again, every time we, we finish the workshop. So um, yeah, when I, when I see that moment and realize that like, this is something that I love doing um, that's kind of the aha moment and yeah. Keeps the fire burning. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Mr. Novak. Yes, sir. What do you, what do you have? Uh, some Share some insight. What keeps oh. your fire going? Well, it's well, okay. It's not necessarily what keeps your fire going. That's not what I was going for. But I appreciate that, that side of it as well. But finding your jam, like when, what that spark was. Sure. Um, you know, like... I don't know how it was that I got exactly pushed into welding and when I went into the course and I did it and I kind of realized like this is, you know, working with metal is what I want to do. You know, it was, it was great and all, but the real spark for me was the day my friend was here in Winnipeg staying with me and was like, let's watch this YouTube thing together. And it was Alex Steele. And the second I started watching it, I was just like, holy shit, you can just, you can just do that at home. I had no idea. Like I thought you, it was like factories and stuff that you did this kind of stuff in. Like, 
wait a minute. That's how you make like all those cool flowers and stuff that I see on gates. Oh man. Yeah. It's my jam boy. <laughs> and so that was my spark. And yeah, just I, every day that I, you know, kind of play with something new just pushes me that much more to just keep on doing it. You know, if I was doing the same thing every day, day in, day out, like say I was doing this for a job and it was like, you have to make nails. Fuck. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I would have been, I would have been done long time ago. Right. But for me with like, yeah, I've got my day job and my day job's like pretty much the same deal with what I do in, in my own shop too, with a lot mm-hmm. of senses or in a lot of senses, because I do like, I'm, I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere with my day job, right? And working in research and development, like, you know, one minute I'm, I'm welding something, the next minute I'm actually fabricating the parts that need to be welded. Then a few days later, I'll be painting all that stuff that I had to weld. Then we're putting wiring on it, wiring it all up and whatnot. And it's just like, I'm all over the place with that stuff, right? Writing the programming for it and then talking to engineers about how the design worked and whether or not it was a good design or a bad design, what they need to change and, you know, going through meetings with all this but stuff. But do it's they me- listen, Lyndon? <laughs> let's, not get, let's not get into that. See, you're, you're setting off my spark, buddy. Take off, eh? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I guess it's a sensitive spot there. My freaking veins are popping now, you jerk. Jeez. Why do I have to bring that up? Uh, All right. What grinds hey. your gears, Rob? Oh, oh man. Um, not much, really. <laughs> Oh yeah, not much. I'm a I'm probably one of the most laid back people you'll meet. So it's just uh, floating downstream, eh? Yeah, just got to go with the flow, man. Control cool, what you can cool. control, and anything you can't control, don't waste your time on it because you can't control it. So I don't know. Yeah, that's where it's for sure, man. I'm, so I'm kind of the same way. the The only things that really ground my gears was more when I was a teacher. I was in education and PDs, PDs that were like someone's on stage or someone's presenting something and it's it's just like a hundred percent waste of time and it's like man i could be doing anything right now and it would be more productive that really got me going i would come home mad <laughs> i want to quit my job <laughs> yeah yeah those days happen so it did <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be a teacher, though, man. Like, I look at, like, but not teaching kids. math and stuff. No, yeah. kids would be fine. I'd be fine with kids, but okay, doing okay. more like what Rob's doing, like shop yeah. work. That would be my jam, big time, I, dude. I love teaching. It was just, yeah, I, it's time to step aside. I'll, maybe I'll go back one day. I've, the politics I, of I'm it. I'm pretty sure I've much. said it a few times on the podcast, but. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, you know what? Speaking of Brian Cohn, he was the one that was talking about finding your jam. He mentioned your uh, WFI project that you had did mm-hmm. with a knife handle that looked like it had plywood. That was zebra wood. Ah, there you go. Yes. I, that's I my that. uh, Bird River French chef knife. And it was hey, speaking wood. of wood, what are you using Ooh. for handles on your axes, Rob? 
So we've got uh, hickory handles. We order them out of uh, Tennessee where hickory grows like crazy. Um, it's a sustainable tree farm out there. And, uh, oh, cool. Yeah, it's called Tennessee Hickory. And, yeah, they're pretty good. We, we order them in batches, so we get a, a big kind of bundle of handles. And when we start running low, we just reorder it. Um, we actually just put an order through and got – um, a special order of handles from Hoffman Blacksmithing. Oh, I'm not cool. sure. If okay. They yeah. they upgraded their handle uh, their handle process, and they can kind of mass produce handles now. And um, yeah, the quality <laughs> of their handles was like amazing. So we're testing and seeing what we're going to do with those handles. And uh, that's yeah. a man that's found his jam big time, dude. For sure. Yeah. Nice. And what was his social media? It's Hoffman? Hoffman Blacksmithing. Hoffman Blacksmithing. Cool, cool. Um, do you guys use any other types of wood for your handles? I've heard that, that ash was suitable, but I'm, I'm just not knowledgeable in that. Yeah, ash field. is suitable. Um, like We like hickory. It's got two really great properties for an axe. So it's really, really light in terms of like a, a dense, it's not a dense wood. It's not very heavy. With an axe, you want all the weight in the head because you don't want to be wearing your arm out by the weight of the handle. The handle's not really doing anything but moving the head for you. So you want all your weight in your head. So a nice light handle, and it's really strong. So um, perfect for axe making. Um, yeah, if we couldn't get hickory handles for whatever reason, we definitely just order ash. That's another great wood. Yeah. But our, our wood of choice is definitely hickory. Hickory. Cool. How about um, what's your point of view on like fiberglass handles i mean like the i think the axe throwing community is really into uh into those like i don't know my personal preference like outside of metal the the second kind of medium that i love working with is wood um mm -hmm. there's something amazing about the natural element of wood um even during the workshop we apply some axe wax right near the end of the workshop and you just see, like, even though it's hickory, everybody's handle comes out with different color tones, and some of them are two-toned. Uh, the knots start popping. So, yeah, I just love working with wood. Um, so, yeah, That's what she said. it's more of a personal preference. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, you she know did. what, man? I think this is an excellent time to talk about one of the new people that wants to jump on board as a sponsor for our show. Oh. We've got a company out of Saskatchewan that makes linseed oil. And if you want to use linseed oil in the blacksmith shop, like many blacksmiths do, this mm -hmm. is an excellent family-run business. They're fairly new to it, but they're doing an awesome job making some linseed oil and if you want to pick yourself some up you head over to what is it justin i don't know i don't have that information <laughs> i thought you said you had it <laughs> no i have the information about maritime night supply not the linseed oil guy oh well for crying out loud they're out of saskatchewan they're a family uh run business the twiller linseed oil company they are canadian grown and processed made with flax that has been um, processed here in Canada, grown um, by some of the highest com commissioned grain um, quality oil. Everything's all natural ingredients, available 100% pure, 40-hour double, boil, 40 double boiled oil, 
or in blends with Canadian beeswax or USA pine rosin. So this is really this is that's the perfect stuff you want for finishing your hot iron work. This is exactly Uh, the guys you want to reach out to. Axe handles too, man. Exactly. This is what I'm talking about. You usually soak that shit in linseed oil or rub it into it so that it it stays nice and moist forever. And the linseed oil over time, it hardens the wood as well. That's right. That's right. So um, Moist and hard? Oh, oh. <laughs> hey, Rob, why don't you tell me about your tools? So, no, no, where do you get this linseed oil product? Oh, okay. You know what? And, you can... and repeat the name, please. It is Detwiller, D-E-T-W-I-L-L-E-R. So, D-Twiller or Detwiller? I don't know how to Det-Willer? pronounce it. That will sure. okay. linseed oil and um, he's order a, he's, online. Well, he's got his uh, lins. It's just the Twiller linseed, or you can just find him under that same thing on Instagram. Nice. Is that, is that the easiest way to find it? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Google. Google, 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 excellent Google. product. Well, we'll we'll <laughs> post it in the show notes and whatnot as well, right? Perfect. As as you know, we should. So, oh wait. Here's an easier website to find it at, woodessence.com. All right. There you go. How about that? Great read, Lyndon. I think we nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Well, since we're going that route of... uh, A one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. (laughs) Oh, God. Stickers, Forge Side Chat stickers. You can get them at rainydayforge.ca. And this week, Brent Hoffman picked up a couple. Thank you, Brent. They'll be out in the mail tomorrow. And one of the past buyers for the stickers, this is a kind of a new feature on the Forge Side Chat, is we're going to talk about someone who bought some. And that person this week is Chris Rowan. He's at Iron underscore Clover underscore Forge, Iron Clover Forge on Instagram. Yeah, and and you mentioned him a few times. He is the Abana representative for Canada. Is that correct, Lyndon? That's right, man. Yeah, so we're in Alberta. Yeah, yeah, he's in Calgary, I believe, and his feed features a lot of. some lot, lots of photography regarding uh, his hammers. Go he's check it quite, out. He's got quite the mustache too, eh? Yeah, his his mustache is quite uh, quite nice. Quite nice. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, sweet. lots of horseshoe stuff. Like so, yeah, yeah cool. he's our uh, he's our sticker feature for the week. See that nice uh, cross pin he's got posted from Front Step Forge. Ooh, I did not, but that's uh, that's a good place to go buy a hammer. And yeah, I think man. you can get that stuff on Maritime Knife Supply. Is that right? He does some carry of some of that stuff. That is right, man. And you know what? This is bringing me right back to, oh, Rob, Rob, I want to know about your tool. Uh, <clears throat> Rob, please, I want to know about your tools. You're running this axe class. You're using drifts. You're using hammers. You're using all sorts of. You, got, you said you're using striking anvils. Yep. Where are you getting this stuff from, dude? 
So that's a great question. We actually sourced a bunch of stuff from all over Canada. Um, so our forges are coming out of BC um, from Mighty Forge. Um, those have been working great for us. Uh, not a hiccup. Basically, yeah, hot forging temperature in three and a half minutes. As soon as we turned it on, it's great. Um, oh. So we've got three of those hooked up. Um, we built our own striking anvils. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Toby Druce. He's kind of the uh, the genius behind our striking anvils. We're putting them through a couple different. Uh, we're doing some R and D on them and designing a couple different ones. Um, but they take a beating and uh, they they hold up well, so that's good. Um, Can I ask you what material you guys made them out of? Yeah, he just ordered a like some mild steel. These uh big like four inch by i guess they're maybe like 12 inch blocks and then uh yeah. we sent them out to get uh uh a nice big hardy hole cut out um we need we need a hole in there for the drift to go through um and then he just welds uh he welds kind of a tripod stand to it and we've got a couple of them on wood blocks and uh i think they're all on wood blocks now um and then we just kind of mount them to the floor and uh, put some set screws right into the right into the ground and just tie them down. Um, oh, cool. So yeah, those work really great for us. Um, to get up and running, we ordered a whole bunch of tools from Sean Cunningham. I think you guys had uh, him on your show a little while ago. That's our man from Friends Up Forge. Yeah, we got like we we basically ordered flatters and uh, drifts and. Uh, Initially, we were going to do manually punch, like, start to finish, but realized that just took too long. Um, but, yeah, his tools, they're still holding up. We, uh, we re-handle them often because we're, we're throwing sledgehammers at them, and uh, yeah. we're pretty hard on our hammers um, and our, and our top, top tools. But, uh, yeah, if you maintain them and take care of them, it's a, it's a great, great product. Uh, we have some in-house tools we've built. Um, our... Uh, our primary tool is probably our coal ironworks 16 ton press. Um, that thing does a big chunk of the work. We need to get the billets ready for the workshops. Um, gets it ready for basically students come in. We, we pre-drift it with a, basically within 30 seconds, we pop it in um, and just crush out a nice centered punch and from so there students get to just keep drifting and finish the drift what is that piece of steel called is it a slug slag yeah. no it's it's a slug, slug. yeah slug? it's a slug yeah 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 slag. not so to slug yeah we're yeah. uh we're collecting all our slugs <laughs> yeah we've got a we've got a big bucket of slugs and uh we'll probably try and melt those down and turn that into something probably Damascus. have a couple hundred of those yeah, um, they're all fifty-one sixty, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, that'd be sweet. Make yourself a biggest billet of uh, canister Damascus with slugs from fifty-one sixty, and then make a yeah. The, well, fifty-one sixty doesn't in like muriatic first to get the scale off, and then dump them in some powdered steel. <laughs> that's the Who's plan, your buddy. <laughs> Okay, um, well, right now I'm about to crack a Falcon Blonde. Falcon I Blonde. love you. I'm drinking a Fort Gary Dark. What were you uh, sipping on there, Rob? 
Uh, so this is a steam whistle. This is a Toronto-based brewer. Um, mm-hmm. Nice and clean yeah. pilsner. And uh, this is a new one. This is based out of Ottawa. This is called Blood Moon from Whitewater oh. Brewing Co. Cool. Nice. Yeah. The one you're having, Lyndon, I've really enjoyed that one. Yeah, this is great, dude. This is a really good beer. Made right here in Winnipeg, one great brewing uh, company. One, one great city brewing company. I think, yeah. honestly, almost every beer that I picked up today was made in Winnipeg, other than uh, I got a couple. Screech Face, which is Parallel 49, which, where, where are they out of again? I think that's Vancouver or something, isn't it? Uh, or, I think they have, they're brewed a few different places. Yeah, Vancouver. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, are Vancouver. they? Oh, yeah, Vancouver. Right. Jerk Face. Yeah. yeah, and I got another one by the same company, but that's... Um, the Panda? The f- uh, f- no. filthy, dirty IPA, yeah, in India Pale, yeah, they're really good. Filthy, dirty sounds like the kind of person I like to be around. Justin, <laughs> not filthy <laughs> and dirty. Oh, right, that's me. Shoot, <laughs> or am I? Wow. Hey, no, you know what? Not that way. What? So remember, I was talking about this gentleman that hit up uh, Forging Ahead, right? Yeah. So this guy's name is Jason Dugway. He is Whiskey Delta Metalworks. He's out of Kenora. Go check out his Instagram, dude. Freaking good stuff, dude. Beautiful knives. He's um, a paramedic that is now into knife making. Was a paramedic, now is doing the knife making thing. And man, you two should link up because you guys are on the same page, I think, with your knives. Like the okay. style of his knives and your knives, you guys would probably have a great time getting to know each other. I'll check it out in the show notes. Yeah. So that's another one of my shout outs for this week. Remember, I always do one that <laughs> too, doesn't too really many need shout outs, man. Too many shout outs. Just go check out Giver Terry, eh? Giver Terry? Give or Terry, go check him out, eh? He's he's the gent from Fubar, one of the gents from Fubar. Okay, yeah, go check him out, eh? Sure, you got it. He's a funny lad, and he's Canadian, of course, so of course, Fubar's he's a hoser. He's a, he's a funny hoser. Yeah. All right, let's let's go back to Rob. We're yeah a little too ADD tonight, I think. What? I am. <laughs> no, it's me. It's always me. <laughs> I'll take the blame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rob. We uh, you mentioned the striking anvils that you guys are using. Did you start with a striking anvil, or did you acquire one after your uh, your course that you took? Uh, no. So the first anvil I got when I was just kind of testing this out in my backyard, I just like probably many people went to Princess Auto and picked up their hundred and ten pound anvil um right it worked fine i was just heating up and banging metal in my backyard not really knowing what i was doing um so yeah that that worked for when i needed it but once we got mm-hmm. the school up and running um i actually got um so that local blacksmith toby that i found uh we basically merged our shops and he brought all his stuff and so it's almost oh, like wow. as soon as we built the school we had a, a whole blacksmith's worth of tools 
like a whole shop worth of tools come in and just kind of come into our space. So, uh, wow. he's got a, uh, 460 pound, uh, Fontanini anvil, um, that, uh, is a beast. Um, but yeah, for the, for the workshops we run on the striking anvils, we're, we're using sledgehammers, so you don't want to bring a sledgehammer mm-hmm. down on a hardened anvil. Um, you just don't want that kickback coming at you. So, uh, yeah, the striking anvils work perfect for, for making the axes for us. Yeah. Cool. 460 pound Fontanini. You don't move that around too easily. I don't. Toby seems to move it around pretty easily, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people ask me if I've got a power hammer and I just tell them I've got Toby. So <laughs> he's, he's our power hammer. That's good. You'd be That's surprised, good. man, that I got that 400 pound, uh, well, it's 400 and something-ish pounds, uh, Peter Wright. Peter Wright. I, p- I picked it up and put it onto the stand by myself. With I your mean, engine hoist. Engine hoist, yeah. No? No, <laughs> no I, that was that was me, man. I squatted God. that shit up. I'm, honestly, man, I should probably, like, think about getting into powerlifting because I, I, it, like, I, it wasn't easy, but I lifted it. By myself, wow. put it onto the bait onto the stand. So the 230, 235 double horn that I got, whatever. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And Mine's about that weight. I, I pick it up. I I don't like to, but uh, come on now, it's good times. <laughs> it's fun. Jeez, uh, I lifted a back. give yourself a hernia. Yeah, I lifted a kiln out of my. Uh, I lifted a kiln out of my truck and. Uh, basically like ruptured my rib so mm. now anything no over shit. a certain weight isn't is now a team lift so yeah yeah once you get the hernia or anything like that yeah you gotta watch out i've been lucky in life i haven't had to deal with that yet i keep on trying to push my luck though eh? you don't you go see a masseuse every week or two to deal yeah. with your neck issues <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to remind you that. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you throw your body off of cliffs for a living and onto handrails. Yeah. yeah. So, or I guess not for a living, but what you thought for was fun, a living. For pleasure. What you thought, what you thought was a living. <laughs> living on EI <laughs> and, ra- and ramen noodles and yeah. snowboarding because that was life. <laughs> It was a living. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Snowboarding for a living, eh? Well, Rob, we haven't heard your shout out other than, well, to- is it Toby Bruce? No, Toby Bruce. Toby Bruce, yeah. And, and, and Paul Kruskowski, which is mm-hmm. Toronto Blacksmith, if you don't know. Okay. I don't know if he's still there, though. I know he he was selling off his equipment and planning on moving. Do you know if he's still around, Rob, or... So he stopped doing the workshop, so he doesn't do that anymore. But uh, he got into, he kind of designed his own 2x72 grinder. And he was selling that as like, he's trying to break into like, I think it was really great price point, like 900 bucks. He sends you a kit, you just add them, put it together and add an engine to it or a motor. Um, So he was doing that. As far as I know, he still does that. And now he just sells axes. but yeah, he's still based out of St. Catharines. I think he just had family ties there and didn't want to move. So, okay. Yeah. 
Cool. So I, I interrupted. I, I apologize. Shout out. And, and I was going to take it back because we've done so many flipping shout outs this episode. It's the shout out episode. <laughs> the shout out. Why don't you do your shout out, Rob? It's the shout out episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have mentioned a couple of people that uh, I, I really kind of respect. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody I've left out. Um, I mean, I mentioned Hoffman blacksmithing. Um, that guy, like, he probably makes like some of the best axes you can get in the world. So um, he kind of inspires me to try and do better and make better axes. So um, I'll throw it out to him. Um, I've worked with his team on a couple different things. They actually, I think his, his mom or within the family, they make aprons. So the apron I use every day kind of keeps me safe as from him. Uh, Really well designed uh, custom fit. You send them your measurements and they kind of, uh yeah make you make you a custom apron so i'll shout out those guys yeah he's yeah actually, I, I liam hoffman was on forge and fire he's just a young guy too yeah yeah he's got a book if you're uh, interested it no kind way. of yeah it's it's not not a crazy um like a lot of information it's a pretty quick read but it totally tells you like it's inspirational, man, because it talks about how he started his forge as a hole in the ground that he dug, had a pipe with a hair dryer. That was his first forge. He went on to Forged in Fire, and then he started making his own axes. And now, man, if, you, if you've if followed this, I've followed Liam for a long time because um, the same gentleman that got me into blacksmithing, my friend Scott, he actually gave me Liam's book as a birthday present i believe which would have been like seriously like a month after he introduced me to blacksmithing he gave me that book and i still have that book on my shelf he signed it and i'm like dude this is like oh cool treasure right treasure sweet what are we missing here Lyndon? dude i mean there's so much we could talk about in regards to how to build an axe i mean i'm interested to know when it comes to that, um, some of the aspects of that kind of stuff. So like one of the things that I've always done when it comes to axes is I start with the same material that I would start with to build a hammer. It's not easy. It was like my first couple of axes, I struggled because drawing out that blade, um, you always get that fish lip stuff, right? Yeah, you like, gotta keep an eye on that. How do you avoid that when you start with a large billet and you're and you're working it by hand? It's very hard, right? For sure, yeah. That's so definitely, one of the tricks. Yeah, that's one of the Sorry. things we talk about in the workshop. Yeah. Um. What one of the tricks I learned for that was I cut my billet at, at a forty-five degree angle. Now, so now all I have to do is take that piece that's been cut at a 45 and bring it over Spring back it to out. center right and and then spread it out and out of a two inch round billet it works great for me for hatchets and axes and stuff like that right but yeah. from your standpoint with starting with a rectangular billet how do you guys go about doing that yeah i think part of it is um like that's part of the challenge we give to the students because uh, after they finish the drift, the drift is kind of like a warm up. We've done the pre- we've done the punch already, so drifting only takes maybe twenty minutes, um, and cool. they they drift through and both sides, 
open the eye it's up. It's fun, right? To do it's the fun. Trick, it gets it gets yeah. It's it's for fun. Minutes. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, for twenty minutes. If we didn't p- punch it with the press, it would probably take two hours to get that punch mm-hmm. through. So, um, yeah, we shaved the two hours of hammering down to twenty minutes. Gets the blood flowing, um, and then after that, the next stage is really drawing out the blade, and w- they have to go from the thickness is about an inch and a quarter and they have to get that down to the size of a nickel. So right. in the, in their mindset, they just realized like, Oh, it took me 20 minutes of hammering just to open this eye up a little bit. So they really kind of understand how much work is involved in moving the metal and really drawing out that, that blade. Um, because we're working in a striker director kind of relationship, we've got, it's not one person just, wearing out their arm hammering you've got a striker or sometimes two or three strikers depending on how how full the class is and Mm -hmm. that's that's something bringing down a 10 12 pound sledgehammer to help you move that metal so we we do it pretty quick and it's pretty efficient but definitely what you're doing when you're squishing the metal is going to push out on the sides and it's going to fish lip on the front so that's one of the things we show students and get them to pay attention to we teach them how to correct it all you have to do is keep an eye on it, flip it up, flatten it out, square out your billet again as you're drawing it out. Um, it's kind of, you're going back and forth. So you're you're drawing it out and then you're flattening it and then you're drawing it and flattening it. But every axe ends up having this really unique and different shape by the end of it. So that's another thing that I really like about it is, yes, we're doing axes and it's repetitive, but every axe I've ever helped a student make looks different than any other axe. So yeah, it's really cool. That's interesting. Yeah. And why do you want to avoid the fish lips? Well, if you don't fix it, what's going to happen is those fish lips are going to kind of curl up on each other and they'll just fuse and that's going to create a weak spot in that blade. So you'll get a crack eventually. Um, so yeah, you, you want to monitor that. You don't, you don't need that in there. So pay attention yeah, especially to it. Like 50 correct 60, it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If, you, if it was a mild steel billet, you almost want the fish lip because then you can just open the fish lip, fish lip back up if you if you can keep it open, right? Open it back up and throw yourself in a, a bit, right? A hard there bit. There you go. Then you don't have to split so. it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Hey, that wow. might be a hot tip, Mind right? Blown. Did, yeah. Oh, I saw your <laughs> eyes, dude. I saw that. The spark. <laughs> I was like, why is he saying this? This is silly. Oh, hang on. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Remember, I always see someone out there saying, way. "No, Lyndon, Lyndon, you're dumb." <laughs> yeah, I, it's okay. I know Maybe I not. am. Yeah, well, hey, I always see things in a different way, dude. Yeah. <laughs> My brain's fucked like that. So okay, so now you've got the uh, blade drawn out. You've got the hole drifted. You've kind of got a shape going on. What are you? What are you using for tools? In other than a sledgehammer, are you using a top tool and a bottom tool at all, or using fullers? Yeah, we've got a we've got a top fuller that we use. Um, that basically is concentrating a lot of force in a really small surface area, so that really helps move the metal fast. And we sort of we we start off with three lines across the the face of the the blade. Um, okay. And as as that draws out, we go from three lines to four lines to five lines, and it eventually becomes like a freehand. And that's really where students get to be kind of artistic with it and really direct where they want each blow to go and shape the axe the way they want it. Um, and we use a, a, a flatter to kind of, if they get a little too deep in their grooves, we'll use a flatter to, to flatten it out. 
and kind of take some of those hammer marks out. Um, so those are the, really the two primary tools that we're using throughout the whole drawing process. So cool. Yeah. Nice. So just to recap, if, if someone were to want to make a knife, a knife, an ax head at home, they would need a, maybe a press, but without the press, they're just straight starting with a drift or do you start with a different tool? So it'd be a lot easier to punch first. So if you're, if you're not going to use a, a press, punch. use a punch and mm -hmm. yeah, create that initial punch. Um, once you've got the punch in there, then use the drift to, to draw out the eye and really just create that shape you want. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a lot of extra hammering. So oh, yeah. if you, if, if you know somebody with a press, get it pressed. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, and then a variety of hammers or uh, swage tools to, to draw out the, fa the face of the axe. Yeah. The well, top really and the flatter draws, draws out the face really. Um, yeah. You're not yeah. really using swage tools. You're using top tools more for it at all. Top, yeah, so swage so. being underneath or swage pinching? Is, yeah, swage is always your bottom tool generally. Like okay, yeah, yeah. Or like we've yeah, created you get your spring swages. Yeah, we've created a couple uh, couple different tools that sit on the anvil that help. Uh, like once they've drawn out the face, uh, we have to put the drift back in and make sure that they didn't like take the drift off center or. Um, so we really want to line that up. And when we put the drift back in, we don't want to, if they've drawn out a beard, we don't want to take that out when we're hammering the drift in. So we've just yeah. got kind of a, a little tool that elevates it off of, uh, off the anvil, just so that the, that beard can sit on the front and just hang over the, the anvil. Nice. Is Handy. that, uh, is that a tool that goes into the hardy or? Uh, so it actually straps right on the whole anvil. So okay. right on the striking okay. anvil. Yeah. So, um, for me, I, I, I have a, a tool that's exactly the same thing. A lot of, a lot of people refer to it at, to that as the bolster. Um, I use, I use it for making my hammers. My bolster is shaped specifically in a way that my hammer head will fit in it and the drift can also go through it. And then the drift goes through the bolster and through the hardy. Now with your, um, the, the tool that you're strapping to your anvil or to your striking anvil, does it have a hardy of its own that also lines up with the hardy or how exactly? Hard? Yeah. It's essentially a bolster and we've, uh, we've got it welded onto plates that just make it nice and easy to sit it on top of the anvil. And we center that over the, the hardy. Nice. Yeah. Beauty. Exactly. Beauty. Nice. Yeah. Getting all these tools on hand is super important. If you're yeah, repeating. Yeah work right so a bolster you can make it out of mild steel you don't have to worry about tool steel for the bolster it's nice i made mine out of forklift tine um and i simply what i did is i used a hole saw it was four inch wide forklift tine so i used a hole saw drilled in from one side drilled in from the other side and that like I didn't drill the whole wow. way through. Like I, I had to yeah. drill. It was a lot, and it took a lot of time and a lot of oh, cutting yeah. oil. No but kidding. it's totally worth it. And then once you've drilled that groove in, and because you're only drilling through half the billet, right? So it's a, it's an interesting task doing it. You got to have a good drill. You can't be like they use the milling machine for that, right? Okay. So if 
you, you if you had a good drill press, you could still do it on a drill press. But if you didn't have that, you could hot work it. I you, think sharing some pictures on our Instagram might be a good idea. So it's uh, a little bit clearer. I've yeah. never shared a picture of my bolster before. It's not a bad idea. It's time to share it. Now, with your bolster, you said it's just a flat plate, right? You don't have to worry about holding the shape of of the eye or anything, because your eyes don't don't have like a dip or anything. To the eyes, just square. Or... So we actually have a square bar on the back and a round bar on the front. Okay, so it gives it the ability for the eye to dip. Then exactly, yeah. Aha, beauty. All right. So how do people hear about the Axe Academy? They're driving around Toronto and all of a sudden they hear it on the radio or someone calls them and says, yo, how do they yeah. find out about the Axe Academy? What's your marketing? So, yeah, we've been spreading kind of the word through Instagram and Facebook uh, and TikTok. Um, okay. And anytime we really kind of launch a, like a, an ad through through one of those platforms we see a, a huge uptick in people coming to the website and uh our bookings just start to kind of take off so um yeah we're we're probably going to start looking into things like uh like radio i think radio will work really really well for us but um okay. yeah really like instagram and tiktok have been doing well we've we've teamed up with a couple different influencers like there's some um, there's uh this one account called to do toronto they have something okay. like 350,000 followers of people who are just interested of th- like in things to do in Toronto. And uh, yeah, those guys have posted a couple different giveaway posts where we give away a free workshop. And yeah, we, we see a huge uptick in people. And from there, it's just word of mouth. And like anybody who come in, comes in and does the workshop uh, goes and tells people and we get referral bookings a lot too. So um, nice. that's sort of our mode right now is just spreading that word and really ramping up. We were on lockdown. Like our initial launch was March, 2020, right when COVID hit. So our, our kind of launch workshops in March, April and May, we canceled everybody and they didn't rebook until 18 months later. Um, surprisingly, I think I only had two people actually cancel and ask for a refund. And I think it was just situational. Like they were leaving the country and they're not going to be here anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, our, our customers kind of stuck with us throughout that 18 month period and they were That's super cool. happy to finally come in. Um, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. More than stoked yeah. to learn how to make an ax dude. Yeah. Booyah. And we ran really well up until about December and they locked us down again in January and February. Um, mm-hmm. We just kind of yeah. opened up in February again. Um, so yeah. It's good to be open and have people back in the shop and definitely. Yeah. Go, going back to your influencers, is that something that you're paying for? Uh, so we we paid um, for some. Uh, we also mm-hmm. run we use some of the advertising tools with Instagram so like we can promote our posts to kind of just get them out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've we, we've budgeted for some of that. Um, I guess you got to spend money to make money kind of, uh, yeah. kind of motto. Um, yeah. but yeah, we're hoping word of mouth as we start spreading and like people have been locked down for two years. They want to get out and do stuff. And, uh, like we're providing a pretty cool thing that people can come out and do. So, um, I think a lot of people are just interested in getting out and 
and doing stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Sweet. And if people want to take a course with you, can they, do they have to call you? Is there a website? Yeah, we've got an online booking tool, so that's fully active. People can go to our website and search for available dates and book on the spot. Um, we also nice. have a couple so different cool. gift card options. We get we get a lot of people wanting to buy this as a gift and give it to somebody. So you can buy yeah. a gift card. You get a digital email with a download. You can print that out and um, kind of customize it and give it to somebody and be like, hey, you, you've got an Axe Workshop. Go online and book it. And they get a coupon code to, to go book online when they're ready. Excellent. Venice. Venice. Yeah. Well... I'm also interested in how you're able to run this kind of operation. I know it's like in Toronto, eh? Yeah. And in Toronto, just, I know I called my insurance back this week saying, Hey, what does it take to get students into my shop? Like I want to give a lesson to Lyndon. Lyndon wants to give me 50 bucks and I want to show him how to grind bevels or whatever. That's not what I wanted you to show me. Mm, that's what you're going to be shown. <laughs> and like, I know there's. I want you to different... show me how you grind something else there. Eh? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. You went red. <laughs> Look at that. It's because I'm super good at it. Lyndon. Jeez. Why? Well, <laughs> One of the best. That's what she said. Um, so what kind of hoops did you have to jump through to to be able to do that? Oh, man, all of them. All of the all hoops. Of them? Oh, yeah. shit. That's not what I want to hear. No, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's not easy and for good reason. Like, um, it's it's complicated. There's a lot of things you got to check off. Actually, insurance was the first thing before we even, like, move forward with the discussion of even opening up uh, the shop and the school, it was really around like, can we find insurance for commercial space in Toronto for like for forging? So um, yeah. we found an insurance company that uh, that uh, was willing to take us on. We're essentially we're a metal arts shop um, as long as we right. don't do production. So if if we turned around and started producing like, hey, I'm going to make 100 axes and sell them this month, um, that's a different level of insurance. And you're now a manufacturer. Um, so we stayed away right. from the manufacturing piece. We don't actually make and sell axes. We're more around the, the metal arts craft. So we teach people how to craft their own custom axe. And um, yeah, we got the, the minimum requirement for commercial space is $2 million liability. That's kind of in order to sign the lease the next day, you have to provide proof of insurance. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, we found the we found the insurance company. Second piece was finding the space. Once we had those two boxes checked off, uh, then it was a matter of getting the forges set up and installed and certified. So um, to start, the forges that came from uh, from Mighty Forge they uh, they needed to be field tested. So the first certification we did, we brought in the CSA. We had uh, electrical certification where they come and basically inspect all the wiring and make sure everything's built to code. Um, right. So that got checked off. Um, after that, we had to get the TSSA in to certify the gas installation. Um, so their initial assessment, they sort of told us what we needed to do. So they okay. gave us all these different basically parameters of things we needed. We needed a certain hood 
above each forge that was a certain size. They had to be a certain distance apart from each other. Um, the hood system had to have all these kind of redundant safety features built into it. So we actually have, um, there's a copper pipe that runs up the hood at each of the okay. hoods we've got, and they basically detect suction. So if like a, if a shirt went up to the forge or up the, uh, the hood and got stuck and the suction stopped, then that would actually send an electrical single signal all the way down to the actual gas supply and shut off the gas supply. Um, no way. Wow. And, and then we had to have a manual reset switch. So basically if for whatever reason, the system shuts down, uh, the only way to turn it back on is, uh, it's not automatic. A human has to go hit a manual switch button and that re-engages the, the whole system. Um, we needed an emergency stop button hooked up. So if something did go wrong, we could hit one button, shut everything down. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, once we installed and set everything up, um, we actually had to get an engineer in to come do the drawings to figure out how, like how big of a fan we needed to put up and, Oh there was a, there was a lot of work. So basically, we got everything set up. TSSA came in and they came through, and inspected, who's, and tested everything. Who's this TSSA? Oh, Toronto TSSA. Uh, it's the Technical Safety um, Standards something yeah. Association. Association. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's a mouthful. That's. I think that's why they call it TSSA. Jeez. But. Uh, yeah, any, that. yeah, anything, anything gas related, or they actually do different whole bunch of different safety industries, but gas is one of them. So any fuel, um, they have to come in and certify it. So, um, Gosh, dang. yeah, that was a ton of work, uh, but we got it all working. Are you and, using uh, propane, natural gas? So we have all the forges hooked in directly to the natural gas. So okay. solid. Yeah, it's nice. We just get a, a monthly gas bill and we pay that and, uh, that's sweet. Yeah. 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 It's actually, it was against code to have in the space we're in, they, they didn't want to have propane tanks. Um, I think we couldn't right. have anything bigger than a 30 pound propane tank and that we would have just been running out of too fast. So, Oh yeah. Um, sure, yeah. So yeah, we, we had going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you'd yeah. have a storage room of them. Yeah, basically. So yeah, we're piped right in and it works well. All the safety features are there. Everything's, nice and safe and on top of it that that vent system we put in it's really actually helped out for covid because it's drawing out so much air that mm. it's uh the air is just every 12 minutes the air is circulating out of our entire space we actually oh. had to put in a makeup air system so we're drawing in fresh air from outside the whole time um yeah so it was it, it was a big project and uh yeah we got it all set up and everything passed so we were happy yeah. And, yeah. and you've said we several times is through all this, is it just yourself or? No. So like I have a business partner. I don't who's, refer to uh, myself as we. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, Axe Academy is definitely a we. Um, I've got a business partner who's, uh, who helps me with, uh, with the business. And uh, my, my wife does a ton of our work for us too. She's, uh, she's in marketing. So she helps us with a lot of the social media stuff. Um, yeah. And, uh, even just the community of people around us who have helped us out, like, um, yeah, there's, there's been a, a bunch of people helping out family, friends. Um, yeah, it, it, definitely not a one person operation. It's just too much work to do. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. It's nice that you've got all these, uh, these people 
that are willing to help you and business partners. Yeah. Need someone on that journey. This one's going to hurt. What is it? Interlake Brewing Co. Hoppy Pelican Dry Hopped Pale Ale. Mm. That doesn't really sound so good. Pelican and beer. Just think of like dead fish. Giant bird overhead. (laughs) Dead fish. (laughs) Dead fish. I'm drinking a Fort Gary Dark again. It's so good. It's deep. It's rich. It's good. You know what? It's good, dude. It's good. Wow. Wow. You know what? I think I'm just getting like more um, in tune with the richer flavors of different beers. The nuances. Yeah. The the fragrances and the um the undertones and the um the after what's the after bite there's a there's a special word for that it's not after bite like the aftertaste that's that's what i do when i'm (laughs) (laughs) we should be like recording this like video because Wow. Lynn. <laughs> what are you biting there? I just snorted. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Uh, that's gold right there. Okay. Hey. My, my, my Take kid, off. My Take kid off. snorts on purpose when she laughs. It drives me nuts, man. I'm like, kid, stop, stop. doing that, man. You're going to regret it when you're older. <laughs> I think we've got it, Lyndon. I think we've got okay. it. No. No? You cut me off. Oh. I didn't say anything, but you cut me off. I apologize. Because we were talking about how to make the axes. Oh. We've got the shape. We've got the drift. Yeah. We've got the bolster. Fish lips. How do you hang the handle? Good one. Well, before we hang it, so we do a rough grind. Um that's something that the the instructors do. So after the rough grind, we put it through the heat treating process. Then we do a final sharpening, and then we do the hang. So the hang is uh, is a really fun part. We basically get them to see how well the eye fits on um, on a handle. They do a little bit of cleanup here and there where they need to take a little bit of material off, and uh, and then we teach them how to hang it, where you you literally hang the axe upside down in the air and hit it with a hammer. We use a mallet just to protect the wood. So hit it with the mallet as hard as you can. And that right. kind of just shimmies up the, the ax head as, as high and as tight as it will go. Um, it seems super counterintuitive and students are really hesitant to take it and hang it upside down and smack on it. But um, it works and they see it. They actually cut into the wood a little bit on the bottom. That's That's when we know they've got it right where we want it. And then we take a little bit of glue. We help them wedge it in, and uh, and then we just what use some hands. For a wedge, uh, we've got. So our wedge supplier has kind of uh, gone awol on us. We used to get like a, a whole assortment of like twelve different kind of wood species, and people could choose and custom pick their wedges. Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool. It He's, was uh, cool. Yeah, we've got an order, and we've we've been trying to get resupplied for five months now. I guess there's a, a wedge shortage at his shop. Um, <laughs> but we're hopeful he'll replenish us one day cause we definitely ran out. But, um, yeah, we, I think right now we've got a, a whole bunch of Walnut, um, 
And I think the other wedges are just hickory. So hickory or walnut, it gives them two tone options. They get a light wood or a dark wood. Um, It's still a lot of fun. And um, yeah, nice thing about the the hanging process. Once we teach them how to do it, they know how to do it. It's now a life skill. They can, they'll eventually wear that handle out. They'll need to replace it. They can, they can do it now that they know how to do it. So. Right. Right. Remember how I said my brain goes in weird places or thinks about things differently. Uh, no, I don't remember you saying that. <laughs> how how cool would it be on just like a straight hickory handle to throw a dyed burl wedge in there? Like you wouldn't see much of it, but what you did see would be so like maybe mwah, I don't mwah. know. It would like, just be that I know when I'm of- hammering in a wedge into the axe heads or the axe head. The axes that I've made, I'm, I'm like splitting the wedge sometime and trying to just drive it in hard. And burl is just gnarled, twisted wood. I don't know how it would react. Yeah, Yeah. no, you're right. That was a dumb idea. See, sometimes good ideas. Sometimes you win when you lose one. Yeah, splitting the wood. The experts. Splitting the wood from a functional standpoint isn't too bad. Like you actually want to use a bit of a softer wood that will kind of split before it splits your handle. Um, right. And it'll actually take more, like it'll absorb more, more moisture. So it'll just keep a tighter fit longer. So, Oh, cool. yeah. I'm going to tell my wife this trick. I'm going to say, see, I learned about Rob this. Said. Soft, softer woods better. <laughs> 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 that'll be her, that'll be her after show. <laughs> She's gonna say Rob is full of shit, <laughs> or she might just tell me to take off. Eh? <laughs> yeah, That's likely. Funny. Take your softwood out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Throw the bottle of lube. I mean, go take care of that yourself, eh? Uh, I don't think she, I don't think she says a. Eh. I don't know. You could be wrong. She's too well spoken. Um, going back to wedge and the shrinking of wood within the head. Uh, tip that I heard this week, actually from Cody Ironworks, I think on that same little video that he had made me about the the square handles he mentioned soaking not in water but soaking in antifreeze have either of you heard of that yeah yeah coolant yeah yeah because it doesn't dry out engine coolant has like uh, fish oils in it oh really yeah it'll stay very moist for ever is that why animals like to drink antifreeze it's no, it's uh, got it's a sweetness. Sweet. It's got a yeah. sweetness to yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I've tasted it before by accident. Yeah, so have I. No, I've not had it like accident. St- oh, really? Yeah. I, I, well, I saw. Okay, so I brought my car in to um, my cousin's uncle, which we also called our uncle. Is an interesting guy. Um, brought my vehicle in, and uh, he's like, "All right, let's see what's wrong with your car." And he pulled the dipstick out, and he touches the dipstick with his finger and he taps it on his tongue and i'm like what the frick are you doing he's like oh 
Mm, sweet. You must have antifreeze into your oil. So you've got possibly a cracked block. I was like, oh my God, mm. this guy's this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> he's he's enjoying this engine oil. Either that or um, he's eating too much engine oil. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And then later on, like a few years passed, Buddy, we were in his Camaro and fluid came out at, I think, his feet or my feet in the passenger and uh, weren't sure what the fluid was. So I tasted it and I was like, oh, it's sweet. It's definitely. (laughs) This is fluid. I'll tell you this much. Don't put urea in your washer bottle by accident. Oh my god! What does that semi, mean? Semi truck semi, semi truck drivers. Semi truck drivers can be the most brilliant people sometimes. Urea, Explain. urea is a, a substance you have to use with a diesel engine. Okay. If, if you're, uh, I don't know anything about diesel engines. So yeah, if you, if you run a diesel engine, then you know about urea. Um, anything that was built after 2011, I think maybe it was okay. four 2004. I can't remember what year it was, but they like regulated the use of urea. It's an additive that you put into the diesel so that it burns cleaner. Okay. It's disgusting. It's cow and horse piss. It's oh. fuck. It's really gross stuff, and it crystallizes really bad. And anything that you like, if you spill it anywhere, you just get like brutal crystallization from it. It's nasty, and it somebody piss crystals. Yeah, somebody poured it into the washer bottle fluid on me uh, at work. And on I you? To, well, not uh, on me, but some on one of the vehicles that I work on, and I'm like. Are you fucking serious? Like we went to go, u- we went to go use the windshield wiper fluid, and it wasn't, or the windshield wipers, and the fluid oh. wasn't working. We're like, why aren't the windshield wipers working? What's going on? Like, and I'm like, okay, well, let's go take a look. And I'm like, ah, it's all crystallized around here. What's going oh, on? I'm like, God. this doesn't happen with windshield wiper fluid. And I like start like taking a closer look, and I take a smell, and I'm like, that's urea, man. Somebody That's fucking awful. dumped urea into the windshield wiper fluid by accident. But you know what? It, accidents happen, man. I'm not calling anyone an idiot on purpose here because I could have done it easily. You you know what I guarantee you it is? Is urea comes generally in, if you're working in an industry, you get it in the big 50-gallon barrels or whatever, right? And okay. somebody probably needed to take a bottle of it with them on the road and put it in windshield wiper fluid. And then they were like, oh, I need windshield wiper fluid and accidentally put, yeah, accidentally put urea instead. But don't do that. Awful. Awful. Don't, don't, urea sucks. It does. Hey, man. <clears throat> bada bing, bada bing. I didn't tell you about this. Okay. My boss is telling me about this. Remember how me and my boss like to get down, right? Lando. Do we save uh-huh. it for the after show? Just because you told me to, okay? <laughs> Good day. All right, let's hear about your boss. Okay, so back in the day, the Bay was a pretty prominent business downtown Winnipeg, right? Yeah. The building now sits 
vacant and derelict for my best of knowledge, which is unfortunate because absolutely beautiful building and they don't know what they're doing with it from my understanding. Back in the day, though, when it was a bustling business, there's a story of a gent that walked in there. Now, the gent that walks in is blind and he's got a service dog with him. And he walks in, service dog on his on his leash and harness or whatever. And Takes the guy walks into the middle. Guy walks in. No, no, dude. What? Come on. Have some respect. I don't know. Jeez. What the heck? What kind of dog do you think this is? Blind man walks into the middle of the freaking, uh, you know, common area and starts swinging the dog around by the leash. Yikes. Dog swinging around in circles. Woo, woo, guys freaking having a time. Security comes and tackles. What are you doing, tackles? What are you doing, the poor dog? Blind man, what? What? I'm just looking around. Oh, man. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> you nailed it this time, Lyndon. I approve of this one. <laughs> I embellish the story a little bit from what, how my boss told it, but that's how I do things, eh? That's good. That's good. We've got a, a little Maltese, and I was giving him a bath in, in our sink. It's like... Maltese oh, is like <laughs> miniature. Yeah. So my wife is like, why are you washing the dog? I'm like, I don't know. I've never washed the dog. I want to wash the dog. And she's like, okay, well, be careful. Yeah, no problem. So scrub them, shampoo, rinse, scrub, shampoo, rinse. And then I'm wiping them down, wiping them down. So I've got this ball of like, or one cloth that's super wet. So I put it inside another dry towel and i'm like rach look at this and i pick up the towel and i start swinging it above my head like the dog is inside the towel she freaked out <laughs> my daughter freaked out. <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> the dog's just sitting there at my feet <laughs> <laughs> last last bath I ever gave the dog. Oh god! You joke, Trump swine. Yes. Oh god. Similar. Yeah. It, made, it made me think of, of what actually happened. So oh, no, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Oh, you just I, I laughed so hard I cried. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, props to you for that one, dude. Oh. You got a dog, Rob. So I, uh, I used to have two dogs. Um, I had a, sh a Shih Tzu, a little tiny, like eight pound dog and a Husky. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Really weird mix of dogs to have, but, um, yeah, just trying to think that was a long time ago, but, uh, I used to take the Husky out on, uh, like rollerblades. So he would just pull me and he'd run for like awesome. miles and just go like super fast. And, um, because he started living with the Shih Tzu, the Shih Tzu, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but smaller dogs, they sort of do this thing after they go to the bathroom and they kind of like scoot their feet a little bit, like they kick okay. out their back legs. So he's like, he's a full-size dog and he never did that. But I guess he saw 
his new little brother doing that. And uh, so <laughs> I'm on this rollerblade and uh, we stop and he goes like to take a dump. And then he does the, he starts kicking both his feet out and he <laughs> kicks the crap. And I, I look over and this guy is literally just getting out of his car and the crap flies up, ricochets off the inside of his window and into his car. And then my dog takes off. <laughs> it just pulls me on my rollerblades. <laughs> oh, like, get away. Yeah, and I'm just like, I'm not going back there. <laughs> Flip him the bird. Yeah, yeah. I'm just that's, like, oh. Well, that's straight out of fucking family guy, but dude. That's but awesome. I'm like, I'm like, why did you do that? He's like, he's never done it before. It's the first time I'm like, he, he saw the shit to do it. So he's like... It's like, I guess that's what I do now, but uh, hilarious. <laughs> My dog that just passed like a couple months ago, he would, he would poop in the yard and on occasion he'd like get up on two legs, his front legs and then poop. It was like the weirdest thing. He'd like balance himself up, poop, <laughs> and then get back on all fours and walk away. Very strange. Very strange. My dog has an obsession with this specific spot in our yard to go poop. And it just happens to be in the deepest of deep snow right now. It never was before. I used to have a path plowed there with the tractor because I was like kind of dumping snow in there. And I was like, ah, whatever. I don't need to dump snow there anymore. So I just let it fill in. And he's like, no, that was my spot to poop, dude. And he like <laughs> trudges through this. That's how he got to remember I posted that video of him getting stuck. No, That's how I he don't got think stuck. I saw it. Uh, he got stuck trying to go. F- he went for a poop and then he's like, oh, I'm going to go the long stuck way the out. Snow. And he, yeah, I'm like looking for my dog Yarp. outside. I'm like, where did he go? Usually, like, usually you could see him in the driveway and I'm like looking for him and looking for him. And all of a sudden I saw his head poking up on the other side of the of the deck and I'm like, what's he doing over there? And I go and look and he's like buried like to his neck in snow and he's like trying to jump out and he's not moving. Holy fuck, buddy. We've all got our spots. Yeah. Hey, speaking of a Shih Tzu, these guys tried to open up a, um, a park back in the day. They wanted to have a dog zoo. Right. It was a Shih Tzu. Wow! <laughs> All right. Hey, you want to hear a cool story? Hmm. So I still have beer. <laughs> I thought I drank it all. <laughs> all right. Oh dear lord. <clears throat> um, this one great beer or one great city brewing company, mm-hmm. the uh, Falcon Blonde. On the back of the can, there's a story. The Winnipeg Falcons were a group of Icelandic immigrants who formed their own hockey team after being excluded from joining other teams because they were immigrants, right? Yeah. Despite this prejudice, the majority of the team fought for Canada in World War I and went on to win Canada's first Olympic gold medal in hockey. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, you know what we didn't touch on? Knife file guides from Nordic Edge are now being held at Maritime Knife Supply. That's right. And Wolf Wolf Oil Products. Oil Products, yeah, man. Layout Fluid. Tell me about this stuff. I use this stuff. I don't use this stuff. Tell me about it. Uh, I use the Layout Fluid 
and I, I also fluid. use the knife oil. Um, not particularly, not these brands in particular, but other brands. Um, if I would get the wolf oil, that'd be great. Um, layout fluids, awesome when you're making knives, so you can uh, paint your knife blue, pretty much, and then yep. you can scribe out where you want your edges to lay out to, or on the center mark on the the edge of the blade. That's probably where I use it the most often. So it's awesome I, for fabrication too, eh? Oh, definitely. Fab. You need to make you need to make parts. You want lines on that steel yeah. that you're going to be able to see. Yeah, you want to follow. You want to follow it. lines with a with a bandsaw. You want holes drilled in specific spots. Yeah, paint that stuff blue. Scribe it out. Everything's precision. You can see yeah. it's so beautiful. I'm, I'm guessing that the knife and gun oil are for like lubricating folders or maybe for protecting uh, carbon steel blades. I'm not 100% sure. Um, was it was it gun blue stuff that he's carrying or is it gun oil? Uh, he said, like Lawrence said, that it was knife and gun oil. Okay. So I'm assuming it's for protecting. Well, for the gun protecting everything yeah. right, from the elements and yeah. for the knife, maybe it's the same. Protect from the elements. The only reason I wondered about the gun blue, you used gun blue before back in the day where you... Uh, I use some um, today. Oh. Ha. Yeah, ha. I used ha. gun blue and I also used uh, the rainbow patina from Sculpt Nouveau. On those cool. two friction folders, the oh. uh, you know the rainbow didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm not doing it right. I tried it with a heat gun, heated up the the frame, sprayed it down, and it it didn't really do anything whatsoever. So I took a torch to it to like really ramp up the temperature, and uh, and that seemed to work. But it was uh, it was kind of muted. wasn't really. Rainbow, it's, your, it's, it's, all you. it's all you. It's got to be you. I, you know, I, I, I hope it is. I hope someone can reach out and be like, "Oh, here's the trick with the rainbow patina." Like, do I'll this. I'll reach around if you want, but I won't reach out. I'd rather someone reach out. Okay. Sorry, man. Well, hey, hey, you know what was a really cool idea that I picked up on from, and I want to say it was from. The what podcast was it again with was it was it Brian Houseworth's podcast? I think it was. I think it was I think that's where it was from um Work For It. Yeah. When you do a raffle, and maybe this was you that did this, instead of raffling off a single knife, yeah, yeah. That was the me. choice. That was yeah. you. Look at you. You're <laughs> smart as fuck, dude. Like brilliant. <laughs> the beer is kicking in, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because beside me, I've got a drawer of knives. And I was like, which one do I raffle off? And then I was like, okay, so strategically, just to get into it a little bit deeper, um, because there's levels to this madness um was to create the raffle where there's an option of i think it was five or six knives and you might want knife a and rob might want knife b and someone else might want knife c 
if that other person wins knife C, Rob's still thinking about knife B and you're still thinking about knife A that you both want still because those are the ones that that's the knife that you had in mind. So it's also to like, not just to give away, but also to trigger that in the consumer. So you're just, you're, you're a trigger. You like to set people off it. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah genius level genius you know i try I, Kanye West. I always think i try to think strategically when i'm planning things out sometimes it just happens where things work or don't work but this is one where i was like no this is this is i think better than just one knife because more people are going to see it because the virality of of a post of uh, people bidding or not bidding, but like wanting to buy tickets and then having people kind of set, well, that's the one I want. But uh, Rob, we didn't touch on uh, the finishing on the axes. Are you guys applying any kind of patinas or protectants? Yeah, so we actually run them through an axe care portion, and uh, we we show them basically how to sharpen it with a sharpening stone, uh, how mm-hmm. to wax the handle with a good axe wax, and uh, we actually have a, a blade oil that we give a couple squirts on. Blade oil just kind of protects the uh, protects the metal, keeps the elements away from it a little bit. Um, it's got a lot of carbon in it. Obviously, it's a it's a high carbon steel because we need to harden it. Um, yeah. So carbon, unfortunately, rusts. So like you take your axe out camping for the weekend, you're going to have some surface rust on it. So for sure. Um, we also, we don't use uh, antifreeze, but um, there's a good trick with your blade oil. You squirt some of the blade oil on the blade, but then you put some in the eye as well. And just let that oil oh, okay. kind of seep into it. It's just natural tree oils, really, that they've uh, they've extracted. And uh, that works really well. Keeps a nice tight fit. So I guess you could put linseed oil in there too, right? You could, yeah. yeah, man. Why not? Yeah, definitely. Maybe use uh, the Twiller, linseed oil. Yeah, I, I would because from the sounds of it, it's worth it. Sounds like a great product. Yeah, it sounds like a very good product, yeah. dude. And it's then awesome. uh, once the, once the axe is uh, looking nice and nice and sharp, we've got the wax applied to it. We finish off with uh, we have paracord, so we have like. 10 different colors of paracord. Oh, nice. But our paracord, so we teach them how to do a wrap. And um, the, the real function of the paracord is to protect the handle. So if you go through wood and you you don't want to hit wood on wood because that'll damage your handle. So yeah. the paracord just kind of protects it. But we found this really cool, it's called survival paracord. So normally okay. paracord has seven strands in it. So um, this one has 10 strands in it. So the three extra strands, one of them's a fire starter. One of them is a fishing line, and the last one is a cotton string. So if you're no like out, if you're out in the field and you get a cut and you want to stitch yourself, you can't use paracord to stitch yourself. It's not it's a, not a natural material. You so pull out the cotton material, do some field stitches. Uh, the fire start is really great. I actually demo that in the workshop. We cut a piece out, and I've just got a sparking tool. It's just a ferrule rod and yeah. uh, a spark and two two or three sparks, and then the thing just lights on fire and lets you build a fire. So it's it's got a dual purpose. So like I camp a lot throughout Ontario and uh, whenever I'm camping, I always need an ax and I'm making firewood, cutting kindling. And sometimes if you don't have a lighter or match or whatever, that really helps. So for sure. For show. 
Yeah, it's kind of like a cool little extra thing we uh, we give students right at the end. They they love it. So awesome, sweet, yeah, man. And is it much more expensive than regular paracord or? It's not like uh, like no. paracord is not that expensive in general. So it's uh, yeah, it's just uh, when we found it, we just it's just something we integrated into the workshop. We didn't we didn't like change pricing or anything. We're just like right. This is really cool. We have to get this. And yeah, do it, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just sure. to light it up in front of everyone too is yeah, uh, yeah. it's pretty wicked. Yeah, great way to finish things off by lighting them up. Yeah, man. Yeah. Burn that rubber, sure. right? Mm, I don't know what it is. I don't think it's rubber, though. You never been to a car show before? Burn up the rubber at the end of the show? That's the way they end her off, uh, man. Yeah, no, never been to a car show. Oh. Or you pull on the sheepskin. Is that is it time? I don't know. I thought I you were so. going that way. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> okay. Rob, thanks so much, man. I hope uh, that future keeps growing. People keep signing up for Axe Academy coming in and uh, that you keep developing your programs. It sounds like uh, a great endeavor. Lots of fun. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. You finished off that brandy real quick, bud. I saw not, that. It I'm was not like done my brandy. Oh, I don't know. That's uh -huh. just ice. And, I've got the hey. whole bottle here, man. <laughs> I can't finish it. <laughs> Like Bobby Orr said, the only ice I want to see is the bottom of my glass. <laughs> <laughs>